It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Hey, today on the podcast, we are kicking off a new series on the Gospel of John. We're going to kick off with John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and the title of this message is The Word That Transcends the Story. In today's message, we're going to learn some simple ways of approaching the scriptures that I think you will find very helpful, whether you're a new Christian, an old Christian, or just checking Christianity out. So, without further ado, let's head over to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org. What do we have in here? Like movies? Okay. Anybody not like movies in here? Okay. Occasionally we get... Okay, I just... Everybody kind of likes movies. Um, one of my favorite types of movies to see when I watch movies... I don't always watch movies, but when I do... Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like these movies where you are led to believe certain things throughout most of the movie, and then you get to the final few moments, and you find out that kind of some basic assumptions that you'd had during all the movie, in the last few minutes, they get twisted, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my goodness, I did not see that coming. And now it causes you to, to view the whole movie in a whole new, different light. Like, one guy who was famous for this was a guy by the name of M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, he came out, he was, his breakout movie was called The Sixth Sense, and uh, a lot of people said he'd be the next Alfred Hitchcock. It, it didn't look like it worked out that way because he came up with some silly movies after that. But he, he did this movie called The Sixth Sense, and, and when you watch that movie, spoiler alert, if, if, if you want to see it and you haven't, just go la 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 la, we'll be done in a few seconds. But uh, this movie, you, you were led to believe that this is a story about a kid who sees dead people, and he strikes up a friendship with a, a cop that is played by Bruce Willis. <laughs> And so you're operating under this assumption that this kid's kind of freaky, he's a little weird, but you're, you're kind of led into assuming certain things. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the movie, you find out that Bruce Willis himself is a ghost. And he didn't even realize it. So you kind of find, like you have this moment of realizing, oh my goodness, I did not see that coming. And you look at, back at the whole movie and you go, wait a second, I never saw Bruce Willis talking to anybody else except for this kid, and it all comes together. Another movie that Shyamalan did was, you know, kind of a silly movie, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking for examples I could use, but uh, it was called The Village. Did anybody see The Village? The Village, this, you think it's a movie about, like, um, what would we call those Puritans? You kind of think it's about a Puritan community back in the, in, in the East, uh, in, in you know the 1600s and it's all these people living in a village and they're real strict and they you know don't go into the forest and you think it's just a story about people afraid to go in the forest and you know hiding in their community and you find out later somebody actually goes through the forest and they find out they're actually in modern day America and you know the the big twist in the plot is that this group of people really retreated from society. They thought, let's get rid of internet and cars and all that stuff, and let's live like the Puritans. So, but you don't see that coming. So when it comes, you're like, oh my goodness, it causes you to see the whole movie in a different light. Now, I, I say all this because the disciples, the guys who wrote the original books of the Bible, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, 
authors of the New Testament, for the most part, maybe for all parts, they were people who grew up as Jewish people in the first century, and they had certain, because they were religious Jews, they had, they had certain expectations connected with that idea of Judaism. As, as a Jew being raised in the first century, you would celebrate certain feasts throughout the year, Passover, Pentecost, Yom Kippur. Your calendar was based around God's story of what he did in the people of Israel. You know, the Exodus here, you know, Passover, bringing them into the Exodus. So, so as, as a child growing up, you would grow up celebrating these meaningful things that were connected to what God did in your story. And on top of that, they observed things like Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, dietary laws. So their whole frame of reference was the Old Testament, the Scriptures. Now, as a, as, as a person growing up in Judaism and, and first century uh, Palestine, you would have the expectation of the Messiah. As I said last week, and by the way, if you weren't here last week, please go back and listen to the podcast. It'll be very helpful uh, for your life. Um, there we go. Uh, the gospel. It's the gospel in five acts. So, but as I said last week, there was a hope for the Messiah to come. There was this expectation that God was going to send somebody who would come in the line of David to be a king, someone who would throw off the yoke of their oppressors. At that time, it was Rome, and, and somebody who would set them free to be you know, what God had always, always intended them to be. So there was that hope. Everybody was waiting for the Messiah. Actually, there's this, this time between the Old and New Testaments. They call it the intertestamental time. And in that period of a few hundred years, there were many people who rose up claiming to be messiahs. There's a book that if you have a certain version of the Bible, a Catholic version of the Bible, you might have a book in there called Maccabees. And it, it talks about the Maccabean revolutions or whatever. I'm I'm getting tongue-tied here. But these were people, some of them who were claiming to to be doing what the Messiah was going to do. They were going to raise up, you know, rise up and and take up arms and overthrow the Romans. So there was that expectation there. And if you grew up in the first century Judaism, that was your expectation. Man, when is God going to send the Messiah? Because it had been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. But when the actual Messiah comes... He was, it was like the, the, the twist in the plot that we see in these movies. It, it, it certainly was what they expected in one way, but something completely different than what they expected in another way. A matter of fact, when Jesus comes as the Messiah, it would completely change the way they even viewed the story of Israel. It would be a new lens through which they saw the whole story of God. The Apostle Paul actually writes this. Uh, this is a great uh, verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 10. This is the wisdom God prepared ahead of time before the world began for our glory. None of the rulers of this present age knew about this wisdom. If they had, you see, they would not have crucified Christ, the Lord of glory. But as the Bible says, human eyes have not seen, human ears have never heard. It's never entered into human hearts all that God has now prepared for those who truly love him. And that's what God has revealed to us through his spirit. You know what Paul is saying there? He's saying this twist in the plot, nobody saw it coming. (laughs) The the, the rulers of wickedness, human people, I mean, even people in Judaism, there was an expectation for the Messiah, but nobody saw this. How wonderful is this that the author of the story would step into the story and show us what God is like. He would actually come as the fulfillment 
Well, the whole thing that we see going on with Israel. So when you see the disciples writing about the Old Testament, and look, if you look at the New Testament, you're going to find reference after reference to the Old Testament. You'll find references to the prophecies of Isaiah, to to the book of Psalms, to Exodus, to the Passover. You're going to find it's all throughout the New Testament. But understand, when John, Matthew, Mark, Paul, when they looked at the Old Testament, they looked at it now through the lens of, of Jesus. It was all one story that was leading up and fulfilled in Jesus. And so when you see the introductions of the various gospels, now, by the way, last week, I'll just do a little recap. If you ask somebody in first century Christianity what the gospel was, they wouldn't give you John 3.16. They wouldn't just say, you know, God died to because of your sin, so you can go to heaven when you die. If you ask somebody, what's the gospel? They say, they'd give you something like the gospel of Matthew, <laughs> the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke. They'd give you the story of Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel and the risen king that calls us to be a part of it. That would be the gospel. It wasn't just a little, it included John 3.16, okay? But it was much bigger. And so every Every person who wrote what ended up being called a gospel in the New Testament has a tie-in to the old story. Now, you know, several years ago, I was in, in Kenner, and we did a series on the, on the gospel of Matthew. I think it took them like two and a half years, and they didn't even cover all of it. Uh, here's the part that they skipped. <laughs> the part that most of us skip when we come to Matthew, the first chapter, that genealogy stuff. You ever, did you ever, like, start reading this? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Anybody looking for names for their kids? <laughs> Amminadab. Or Ram, Ram, that's a, good, that's a good manly name, Ram. We called him Ram. But, but honestly, that's about as far as I usually get in reading Matthew, and you just kind of glaze over. Maybe you read it because it's in your one-year Bible reading, and you feel guilty, and you just got to get all the way through the list. But a lot of times, we read it with no understanding of what is going on here. It's just like, okay, Matthew threw this little genealogy bit in there. That's interesting, kind of, not really. Let's go on to the action in the Sermon on the Mountain. But what Matthew was saying here at the beginning, he says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What is, what is Matthew saying from the get-go? This story about Jesus is about a story that was started with Abraham and David. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham and the promises made to David of a Messiah that would come from his what do you call that, lineage or uh, descendants, you know, someone who would reign as king in righteousness with a kingdom that never ends. So we find that in Matthew, and in, in the gospel of, of Mark, you're going to find his intro ties Jesus to the prophecies of Isaiah, and then you're going to find in Luke, Luke has a section on genealogy as well, except Luke didn't want to be one-upped by uh, uh, Matthew, so Luke doesn't stop with David and Abraham. He goes all the way back to, Jesus goes all the way back to Adam. But then we come to the book of John, which is why we're here today, right? The book of John. John doesn't tie it into to merely Abraham, David, or Adam. John goes for a home run. So let's look at the, at the 
text for today. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was close beside God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was close beside God. All things came into existence through Him. Not one thing that exists came into existence without Him. Life was in Him. And this life was the light of the human race. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Okay. In the beginning was the Word. What does that remind you of? Genesis. Genesis. Anybody else see the the parallel there? Yeah. It it doesn't take some Bible scholar uh, or somebody living in first century Judaism to see that, wait, in the beginning was the word. That sounds awful like like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is, is making a few statements that are very important about Jesus here in the beginning. Number one, Jesus exists before all this stuff exists. Jesus is God, okay? He's just going to come right out there and tell you this is a story about Jesus and Jesus is God. So let there be no mystery there. But Jesus, he also ties Jesus back to the creation of the world. Everything was created by and through Jesus. But what's interesting, too, is if you notice that there's this... this literary method that a lot of Hebrew writers would use where you, it's called, you know, like parallelism. You, you parallel one thing with another. And, and they would do this to, to communicate something. And, and it's kind of lost on us sometimes, but, but the original hearers of this would have heard what John was getting at. John could have introduced Jesus in any way, but he chose to introduce Jesus by tying Jesus back to Genesis. Even in the same way Jesus was involved with the creation of the world, God is up to something again, and this time it's new creation. God is bringing new life. He's going to restore things. God is, it, just like the first, first passage of Genesis, God is up to new creation, recreating. We find a, a, a very similar passage in, in Colossians written by Paul. It's very similar to the, to the first chapter, first verses of John. And I didn't get it up on the screen, I'm sorry. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Paul is basically saying, we don't know what God looks like, but we've seen Jesus. Jesus, if you want to know what God looks like, He looks like Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." Paul is getting at what, what, what John is getting at here. Jesus was involved in creating it all, and he's involved in putting it all back together. Everything will be reconciled in Christ. So in these first verses of John, 
we're going to find something that is very key to not just how we approach the Gospel of John, but even how we approach the whole Bible. We're, we're invited to look at the Scriptures through the lens of the work, the person of Jesus Christ. We're invited to look at the word that transcends the story. I wrote a song a few years ago called Who You Are. You are more glorious than glory. You are the word that transcends the story. Jesus is the word that existed before there was a Bible. (laughs) He's the word to which all other words in the Bible point towards. He is the one that transcends it all. When Scripture is not connected to the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, then we can get Scriptures to say all kinds of goofy things that it never intended to say. You ever heard people use the Bible for for some interesting interpretations? I have. I'll share a few with you. Someone told me last, last week or, or after the last service, like, I can prove to you that the disciples were, were, were frugal and that, that they liked to travel in an, economy, in an economy car. I was like, how do you get that? He says, well, in Acts it says the disciples were all in one accord. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The begin, in the begin. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. We're not going to go down that road, though. Um, you know, when I was a new Christian, I remember the church that I was a part of at the time. They had somebody come in and do a sen- seminar that's based on scripture. They told us why every sincere Christian needs to be a vegetarian, and they had scriptural backing for it. About a year ago, I met a guy who told me that scriptural reasons for why we don't need to eat wheat. He, he had scriptures for that. I don't know how he gets around the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread, you know. But, uh, and if you were here a few weeks ago, I just, in my amazing preaching, teaching skills, twisted the scriptures to, to show you that God likes barbecue. Were y'all there for that? So on one hand, God wants us to be a vegetarian. No, he doesn't want us to eat meat. No, God loves barbecue. All things that you can get the scriptures to say. You know, there was a particular part of my journey years ago where I was around a group of Christians who were particularly good. Had, they had a gift for taking Old Testament bizarre, you know, I mean like obscure Old Testament prof, prophetic passages and then turning them into personal prophecies for prosperity. And so somebody would say, uh, I got this word to you from Habakkuk that says that you're going to get that job promotion next week and people are going to like you. Yes! Awesome. And so there was a time in my life where after being around a lot of these people, I, you know, I, I wanted to get, I wanted to hear God through the Bible. So this was my method. I would say, God, please show me something for my life today. And I'd look at it. And one day I was doing this. I was a, a single college student. I looked at it and I came upon a passage in Isaiah 55 that says, you shall go out with joy. Well, I knew a girl named Joy. And being a single college student, I was like, that's all the word from God that I need. So I went and asked her out. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that there was a specific word about my dating life tied in the Old Testament prophecies to Israel? Maybe a bit of a stretch? Okay, it is. It is a bit of a stretch. Just let's clear it up. 
when we miss the point of Scripture as being the story of Jesus, we get misled into all kinds of things. And so we can hear people coming up with justifications for why capitalism is the only godly system, and then another group of people using the same Scriptures coming up with reasons for why socialism is the best system. They're both looking at Scriptures. They both got verses to back up their points, but they're missing the point, (laughs) the word that transcends the story, the one whom the disciples would all agree all those things were about. Now, if you look throughout the New Testament, you're going to find all kinds of references over and over to the Psalms, the prophetic books, the story of Israel. You're going to find that in Paul. You're going to find, we're going to see that in the upcoming weeks in, in, uh, in the Gospel of John. I mean, we've already seen a reference to Genesis. But when the disciples quote the scriptures of the Old Testament, it's not about your diet. It's not about a new political system that we need to embrace. It's about who? Jesus. Jesus. That's the lens that they're looking at the Old Testament through, through Jesus and what he did and who he was. They see Jesus as the highest revelation. You know, I have seen in my day what I would call Bible idolatry. People who hold such a high view of the Bible that they've exalted it over Jesus Christ himself. And John's making a point in here, and he's going to make it very clearly when we get a few chapters in, that Jesus is the authority even above Scripture. All Scriptures find their meaning only in Jesus. Now, I wish to God that somebody had told me this two years into being a Christian. It would have saved me from a lot of silliness. Has anybody experienced any silliness in the Bible and Christians? I've I've experienced a, a bunch. Good thing there wasn't a verse about you shall go out with hope. And uh, no. <laughs> Actually, that was Joy's sister. Uh, <laughs> when we approach the scriptures, we need to ask ourselves, and the question I want us to look at today, how did the disciples read the Bible? How, how, did, the, how did the first people who hung around Jesus, how did they read the Bible? Because you can find out how they read the Bible because they're always quoting the Bible. But they read it just like you and me if we're seeing a a movie that has a twist in the plot that changes everything. They read the Bible like that. They read it with the understanding that, that Jesus was the Messiah, but he wasn't just a human being. He was God himself who stepped into the story. He was the He was the Passover lamb. He was the one leading humanity on a new exodus he was both the sacrifice and he's become our high priest. He's, he's everything that the temple system pointed to. They realize it's all in here. Now, if you don't get that, you're going to come up with some weird ideas about the Old Testament. I've been around some people who are like, oh, we need to build a temple and I need to be your priest and you need to be. I, I was at a church one time that, that turned the pastor's office into the Holy of Holies. I'm like, where the crud do you get that? Oh, well, we found passages here in the Old Testament. Well, It's not tied to the understanding that Jesus Christ is our high priest and temple and sacrifice and everything. It's tied to some interpretation of the Bible that is divorced from that understanding. Y'all tracking with me? This is important. I mean, this is like about as important as we get around here. I mean, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) This is about as important as we get. (laughs) 
The point that John is making here at the outset of the gospel is the way you need to understand everything that John's going to talk about, the way that you need to even understand the very creation of the world is looking through Jesus You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God acts like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is up to in the world? Look at Jesus. He's our authority. And with Jesus as the authority, then we can turn to the authority of the Bible. With Jesus as the word that transcends the story, then we can start understanding a little bit what this book is about. You know, a lot of people, they they have this assumption that you become a new Christian. Oh, just go start reading the Bible. You're going to get confused as heck if you don't get this. The Bible is going to mess you up because it says it was written by 66 different, you know, 66 different books written by multiple authors and they've written in different genres and some of them say things that, that seem to contradict each other. If you're a new Christian and you're just trying to figure out that, you know, what? Don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk? Okay. It's in the Bible. <laughs> is, is, is slavery okay? It's in the Bible. Can I eat bacon? Because it says in one part of the Bible I can't. If we understand Jesus is the authority that transcends the Word of God, that Jesus is the thing that all this was pointing to, then we have a way to go back and look at the story. That's exactly what the disciples did. They knew the story. They had lived the story for years and years before Jesus came along. They lived with the hope that he was the Messiah. And then when he came, they saw that the Messiah was much more than they would bargained for. He wasn't a mere human like Moses or David. He was actually God himself stepping into the story to show us what it was all about. Jesus is the authority. He's the one that this whole thing is about. The Bible really, when you understand this, it's a story about Jesus. It really is. And to read it, it to, 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 to take this wonderful book of the Bible and, and start making it about anything else is to uh, really lessen the authority of Scripture in your life. Because you, you can get this thing to say all kinds of weird things. Today we're going to close by uh, celebrating communion together so i'd like to invite zach up here to to sing us a communion song no i'm just kidding you can just play some music my hope this morning as we celebrate communion as we begin this journey into the book of john that we can get jesus at the center of this thing i am so excited i really am i'm i'm excited this is important I'm excited that we're going to spend however long just looking into the book of John together because we're going to be looking at Jesus. And I think that helps us to, to look at the people in our lives. It helps us to look at the government. It helps us to look at every situation we're going to face, not because it gets us a specific answer on what to do in all these situations, but because Jesus begins renewing our mind, changing us into his likeness, restoring that image. The word has power in us. But the ultimate word that has power in us is Jesus Christ himself. So this morning, I want to invite everybody up uh, as, as, as uh, Zach plays to... You got something? Oh, you're just saying hi. Okay. Uh, as, as Zach begins to play, I would like to invite everybody up to at one at a time or whatever to uh, take some bread and a cup and bring it back to your seat. And we're going to... Uh, going to take communion together so come on over